prepared for this one. Welcome back to Sports Banter Season 2, Episode 23, with your host, Mr. Peanut. And, of course, the polar bear. How are we doing, my friend? Doing pretty good. A little concerned about some things that we're going to cover, but I'm Excellent. ready to go. Let's jump into it, shall we? <laughs> uh, here's one thing I'm not concerned about. This man. This man right here. Justin Fields. Wow. 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 Look. What a time to be a Bears fan. Look, the defense horrific is putting it lightly but my god did justin fields put on an absolute show on sunday and has now transformed the entire conversation from kind of just the bears are a mess as a whole to well maybe we have a foundational piece in the quarterback and that's exactly exactly what i saw on sunday i mean Breaks Michael Vick's record for the rushing uh, most rushing yards in a game, and then puts on three passing touchdowns on top of that. That's one good week, yeah, amazing week. But he's put together in the last four games, he's gotten progressively better each week, and I'm ecstatic about it because I came into this year and I said, as long as Justin Fields is getting progressively better. It's a win. It's a win for us. This team right. is going to stink. We're going to dish off our assets, which we have. But, man, that guy under center looks like the real effing deal. Just phenomenal athlete. Gave us a chance in the game where our defense did absolutely nothing for us for, you know, three and a half quarters of the game. Right. They had probably stopped the Dolphins twice. Um so it's like if our quarterback was below average or average, we get blown out in that game. But Justin Fields, wow. I, I'm i all in. I got this jersey after the Steelers game on Monday Night Football last year, hoping that this guy could turn into what I'm seeing. And my God, is hope restored in Chicago. I mean, you know, I – we talked about it early on in the season, uh, in the episode season, if you will, about what, what you had expect expectations for as a Bears fan, as well as, you know, myself. I'm a, I'll, I'll call myself a shadow Bears fan, just living vicariously through Mr. Peanut. But, I mean, I agree. The things that I saw with Justin Fields are exactly what you talked about. The, the, the ability for him to just kind of take control as a Bears fan and as a football fan, you love to see that progression at a at that quarterback position. Yeah, the defense didn't do very well, but I mean, you know, 32-35 against what I would consider one of the better teams in the NFL right now. I mean, that that's that's a lot of respect, but also that that shows and I I like what you said, that shows how much weight Justin Fields can put on him and finally and I said it last week you know I just every game he has those great runs and at least one or two of them are called back for a holding call I mean that's inevitable but the fact that the team is kind of all right hey we are we're finally getting in the groove with Justin Fields seeing how he plays and finally putting guys into position to allow for him to succeed and the team to succeed it's great and I know as a Bears fan as yourself and other Bears fan, 
I think this is that glimmer of hope that you guys have been hoping for or waiting for, if you will. Um, and it's just, it's, it's great to see. I think, I think you and I, when it comes to football, we love to see those deep progressions. You know, we love seeing a guy come in, have that, Hey, you know, what is he going to turn into? And I always say it takes, takes anywhere from three to four seasons for a guy really to get it going. I mean, sometimes a rookie gets hurt and, you know, Hey, he's got two more seasons till I, I actually say, Hey, he's now a veteran in the NFL and can make an impact. And we're seeing that with Justin Fields. I mean, I tip the cap to the guy. I mean, losing by three points to, to Miami, that's not, you know, to me, that wasn't a loss. That's just a, that's just points showing a loss, you know? Yeah. I think uh, for, to further the point, you gotta give a lot of credit to the new bears regime, new bears regime uh, coaching staff who have figured out and Justin Fields himself, who have figured out his strengths. Right. Um, how he should be playing the quarterback position. Because if you go back last year, when I'm ranting about Matt Nagy, it was maddening, maddening. You're putting a guy who now we see, you know, he's breaking the rushing quarterback rushing record in a game. He's, he's ran in a touchdown the last three games. um, And he's using his legs on third down, which has completely changed how defenses are preparing for the bears because they, you have to put one guy spying on him because he's that type of quarterback. What we were doing before, you're just putting him back in the pocket and acting like he's Peyton Manning, like a guy you can't move. Right. You're taking away just like what makes him special. You're taking away what makes him a top 10 pick. Right. So finally, we have someone with a brain to go, no, we're going to use your legs, and we don't right. want you to take up a lot of hits because we need you. But in order for you to reach your full potential, you're going to have to use your legs. Like There's absolutely no question about it. And what does that turn into? Dudes are open uh, receiving now because they're afraid of him throwing the ball, so they got one less defender in coverage. So it's all these things that have come together finally, and that's helping him too because, first of all, when you start running on third down and you're getting those first downs, I mean, it's adding to the confidence of this drive's continuing. Uh, It's adding to the O-line's confidence, as you could attest to. Of course. Uh, Yeah, we have a system in place that's working for all of us. We know even if there's a breakdown that he can make a play for himself if he absolutely has to. Um, so, like, the Bears' offense has completely changed where now they are putting up points. Like, last year, my main qualm was we can't put up any points because the whole system was a farce. I mean, right. Matt Nagy put him in a in an offense where you're just trying to throw the ball downfield the entire time, don't use anything else, and it's like that's not his skill set. So now we found it. We've had coaches that can recognize his skill set. He's performing at an exceptional level, and you know, sky's the limit for the Bears. You know, add some more talented guys around him, and I mean, who knows how well this offense can be? But um, I was looking at some numbers today, comparing uh, Justin Fields' first nineteen games to Josh Allen's, and they are very similar. Which to me. That's all I want to see is you, if your numbers are comparable to a guy who's arguably the best quarterback in the league right now, then, you know, the potential is rising for the Bears offense and the Bears as a whole going forward. This year is not going to be great, but now we have at least a foundational piece if this continues that we can lean on. No, I love that. And I think, you know, 
I think that kind of segues us into, you know, talking about the Bills and Josh Allen and having a Justin Fields quarterback like yourself to have that opportunity to see that those statistics are showing, you know, that growth with that quarterback. That's that's exceptional to see. Now, you pivot and you talk about the Bills. I mean, myself as a Bills fan, I'm you know, I'm not worried about anything with the Bills right now except Josh Allen's fucking injury, which you know, that game to me on Sunday was really odd. It started weird. You know, the Jets, I mean, the Bills came out like Bills fashion. Just, I mean, shit, you started the game off with the kicker slipping. I mean, it's almost like a, it's almost like a quintessential Jets starting game. But to that point, I was talking with some guys that I was with this weekend and I said, you know, the Jets are not a team to just it's not a steamroll win they're they are a you know put us against the wall and we'll fight back kind of team and we saw that on Sunday mind you I have been noticing this with Josh Allen and and the Bills offense is I do feel like they're taking a lot more risks because I think they have that confidence in them which I have no problem with but I will say this it does remind me of a quintessential Kansas City team where they just start doing all this crazy stuff, taking a little too much risk, and the game starts to get away from them. And that, I'm afraid, is what maybe Josh Allen is thinking, is saying, hey, you know, maybe I can take this. And we've seen it. He's thrown a number of picks. Um, but that's one thing that I'm kind of worried about with the Bills right now is one, Josh Allen's injury, which if you saw it, I mean, dude, I don't know how his arm didn't break. I, I mean, the hit was pretty bad. And It does. Honestly, uh, when they start talking about UCL and ligament injuries, I get very worried. And if oh, you're right. a Bills fan, like you're saying, like, and like you are, that the contract you signed, non-negotiable. Uh, Correct. I mean, we're talking season ending for the Bills. If Josh Allen's out. Oh I right. Mean, yeah, you'll have you'll have Case Keenum come in, but it's not the same. I mean, no, no, it's no. it would be an absolute disaster. I would hate to see it because you want to see the best of the best play. But oh my lord! I mean, look, if he's hurt, it's it's uh, panic time in Buffalo. Hundred percent. I I completely agree. And it's the first thing I thought of was when he one when I saw it, I'm like, oh wow, that's pretty bad. But number two, like you said, when you start talking about like UCLs and stuff like that, the first thing that I think of is it, it's like Tommy John in baseball. It just it's it's right. something, it's something that you really need to worry about. And for the Bills, I hope that they go about it in a proper way. I I think they will. But you all you you and I completely understand how the NFL works, how teams work, how players feel. I mean, this is a total crapshoot here, and. Yeah, I'm worried about that. But, you know, nonetheless, I think our defense is doing really well. Again, against the Jets, I don't even know. I, I, I th- It just but, happens. <laughs> but on that point, too, like, since we're, we're questioning Josh Allen's health and they lost the game versus the Jets, I mean, that kind of goes into maybe why they lost the Jets. I mean, if you if you were thinking – the Jets were going to go in there and upset the Bills in pregame. It just doesn't make sense because the Bills are just a much better team top to bottom. Like you said, the Jets are a scrappy, young, 
team who can Correct. make stuff happen. But I'm now I'm thinking it had more to do with what is wrong with Josh Allen, which has a little bit of Fernando Tachi stink to it in the Bills organization. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like they said there could be something wrong, but we're looking at it. Not too much information there. He's questionable going into this week. I like we don't really know what's going on there. They're gonna keep it hush until it's absolutely paramount that they have to either he's not gonna play or he is. But really, I don't know. Like I said, once you start talking about legitimate like let's just say it was his shoulder and they go, Yeah, his shoulder's banged up a little bit. I wouldn't feel so bad about it. I would I feel like it's like a probably AC joint, you know, you get a little cortisone and away you go. Correct. If you start talking, if you start zeroing in on like this is a ligament that we were looking at, that means to me that he's told something to the doctors on the sideline that is about that specific part of your arm, which is usually most of the time is a massive problem. It's like when a pitcher comes out and he's like, "Yeah, I feel tightness in my forearm." It's Tommy John, like every time. So I don't, like I said, they haven't given us much information on it yet, but. It completely shakes up the AFC if the Bills are without right. Josh Allen for any extended period of time. It totally does. And, you know, you bring up a really good point is if you watch later in the game or maybe if just right after that happened, he immediately started grabbing his elbow. And he st- and what really caught me was, okay, maybe he fucked it, you know, like maybe he just kind of got a stinger or something like that. But once he started opening his hand and closing it and like looking at his arm and wiggling it out essentially i knew immediately that there was something wrong there and you know god forbid he's you know really hurt i i i don't i don't wish that on anybody but i mean if he is hurt and let's just let's put it out there as the worst thing in the world where his season is done i mean the bills playoff the the bills playoffs i mean don't get me wrong. I think their offense and their defense is stacked, and they're way, they are ready to play. But I mean, their whole the rest of their season is totally in contention, and it's just it it it, it scares me as a fan because you know he goes down. Who 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 are we? You know, like who this is I would, yeah. This is where I would hope I'd have Geno Smith for how well he's playing this year. <laughs> I would love to have some Geno Smith on my team right now. But, you know, that just totally – and what it does is it really shakes up playoffs. It shakes it up. Yeah, it absolutely does. Um, it's uh, it's going to be a big, big thing to see this week if he plays. I don't know. You know, they're playing the Vikings this week. So, Vikings are 7-1. and one. That's no slouch coming into – I think it's they're playing in Buffalo. Is that correct? Uh, I think yeah, so. they're playing. They're playing in Buffalo, so they would. I would give them the advantage there with a healthy Josh Allen. But there's a lot to be uh, uncovered there. And, I don't, yeah, I wouldn't really give. I don't know. Even if Josh Allen was playing, I wouldn't give that game straight to the Bills for how well. well no, I, they'll be favored because it's in Buffalo. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll probably be like three points. I, I mean, I like the Bills if Josh Allen's fine, but. And again, he's a tough dude, so I wouldn't be surprised if there is something wrong and he goes out there. But still, I think in that game when you were talking about he's grabbing it or he's you know shaking his right. hand and you know shaking his arm out trying to figure it out. I think 
that's worrisome too because he was going to play through basically whatever, and you can do that through adrenaline. But once you start playing through it and it still is like, like, you know that feeling of, oh, shit, I'm hurt. Like, oh, I'm yeah. actually hurt, and there's nothing I can do about it in this moment. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like a, you know, it's like once you're, the feeling of you're actually hurt and there's something definitely wrong with you is right. a scary one. So hopefully that's not the case, like you said. But a lot of question marks come out of Buffalo this week. Well, well, well. You know, NFL is crazy right now with everything going on. But, I mean, let's let's just get down to what happened this weekend with Alabama. Yeah, shake of the pen. Shake of the pen. Let me tell you. Um, <laughs> is, you know, we'll just jump right into it to probably one of the biggest games in the of the NCAA this weekend. Um, you know, LSU versus Alabama. That game was, I mean – I'm going to put it this way, and this is I said this in the beginning of the season with Alabama, is I have this weird feeling about Alabama this year to where they're just on this weird spectrum with their team. I, it is not the same Alabama that we've seen of old. Um, I think as mm-hmm. big college fans as you and I are and our listeners, is Alabama is not competing at the level that we we are we are seeing, and we saw that on Saturday. I mean, two field goals and no touchdowns all the way to the halftime. I mean, come on now. That that was pretty – mind you, this the pick in the end zone, should it, to start off the game, should it have been thrown? No. He probably should have just eaten the sacks. But you know what? You're trying to get the win, right? Get points on the board. That You have the fumble right out – you know, like a couple series after that right on the sideline. And just going into halftime with only six points, mind you, they are getting the ball at the half. That that first half of football for Alabama was atrocious. Now, they did some good things. But then LSU, I mean, I felt like LSU had control the whole I – mean, they started out like, we're going to win this bitch. Yeah. So here's my thing on Alabama, kind of to your point. Uh, they definitely have a target on their back because they're Alabama, Nick Saban. Right. All the national championships and uh, college football playoff appearances. The way that I saw that game play out, because it was a phenomenal football game, first of all. I mean, back and forth the entire way. I agree. There wasn't wasn't any point differential bigger than seven throughout the entire game. Um, But it became became about grit. It became about about less than the talent on the field and just what are you going to do in these situations right here? Personally, I've never, and Bryce Young is a great quarterback in the scheme of college football, but I personally never put that much faith in him as a quarterback to lead his team in these situations. Granted, like like I said, they've had a lot of success, but I'm just saying, is he a guy that goes into the NFL and makes a difference? I don't think so. I, I'll, I'll uh, plant that flag right now. Um, hmm, but LSU... I mean, they did they did exactly what they had to do to stay in that game. They pinned it to overtime, um, and then Alabama scores, and LSU responds. And then for the absolute balls of Brian Kelly to go for two, I'm, I'm literally sitting there like, there's no way they go for two, because then they call a timeout, and they go, all right, they're going to come back. I'm literally going, all right, he's got to come back and like kick the field goal. Like This is for extra point. This is ridiculous. And they come back in the same formation. And I go, you got to be kidding me. Like, they're really going to do this. <laughs> and in my head, too, 
I'm going, there's only really one play you can run out of this formation, which was twins to the right, uh, running back to the left of the quarterback. And I go, it's going to be a slant and an out, quick out. It's going to be, the, that's it. That's the only right. play you can really run. And he's either open or he's not. And they snap the ball and he throws it immediately. And I'm going, well, there it is. And he's open game. And I'm, I was, I was honestly very surprised at Alabama. And once again, it becomes, a, what, what did you do in that situation? Because I'm sitting there, I played enough football to real and watched enough football to realize that's probably the play. If they're going to throw it, it's going to be right. quick. Clemson won the national championship in that same play. It's a hard play to cover, but if you know it's coming, you got to make something happen. So, I mean, they ran it to perfection, got the W, just ballsy as shit out of uh, Brian Kelly and a hell of a W, but I was surprised that Alabama let that play happen at the end. My note for that was ballsy, and that's all. <laughs> yeah, it was it was an incredible call in the first overtime, and I think honestly it was the right call I because agree. once you start once you start doing the, especially when you're really not supposed to win that game, like they're the better team, uh, and you go the once you get into overtime, it's you know all holds bar, like anything can go down. So if you tie the game, then you have the ball. You got you got to score again. Let's say you kick a field goal, and now they can score and win. Changes everything. So I was I was floored that they made the call to go for two, but as it turned out, obviously they win the game. But I think you do just live and die by that play right there. You either get it and win or you don't, and at least you went for it. But I think it was definitely the right call. Oh, it was a great call. As it turned out. If you didn't get it, I'm sure we're giving him shit. But well that's <laughs> that's the thing is right now, as the result, and he made the call. He lives and dies with it, like you said. But to that, and point, I don't hate that. No, I don't either. But but to what you were saying was, if he didn't make it, we'd be talking so much shit. But even if he didn't make it, what I love that you said was, you know, you're a team that was expected to not win, so just take the shot. Take the shot. Yeah, if you make if you make it there, he's the greatest coach in the world. If he doesn't, he's the dumbest coach in the world. Right now, he's living on, you know, cloud nine, if you will, because of that decision. And let's put it this way. In my personal opinion, LSU should have won that game outright. They, it got, because of Alabama and, you know, Nick Saban and their coaches and their players, they were able to come back and Mm -hmm. contest that win. And they did. And, you know, again, like you said, it, it made for a great, a great game. It was a phenomenal game. And moving on to the next game, Clemson-Notre Dame. I mean, what a weekend for me. My, the Bears lost, but I, got, I feel like I gained a quarterback. <laughs> so that was a win in itself. But Notre Dame-Clemson was bananas. I haven't given a bananas call in a while. That game was literally bananas. Um, Notre Dame, as a Notre Dame fan, they are just the strangest team in college football this year. I mean. They have had two horrible losses, Stanford and Marshall, and they've had phenomenal wins. I mean, I went to the BYU game in Las Vegas, and they looked like the number five team in the nation that they were to start the year. Right. And then this game, I mean, Clemson is number four in the nation. You know, they're talking college football playoff. They got great players, great coach. 
And Notre Dame just completely dominated from the jump. I mean, right. the blocked punt return oh. touchdown changed Come everything. Come on. Set the tone for the game. Um, one, they had a, a, a freshman quarterback get two interceptions, one that he brought back to the house. I mean, the defense that Notre Dame played on Clemson was unbelievable. They were all on the quarterback's face the entire game. Um, obviously, it's Notre Dame's like season. It, once again, the underdog coming in, playing at home versus the team that's you know arguably going to be one of the top four at the end of the day. Right. Um, and we just they just absolutely took it to them. There was no question about who was the better team on that day. Basically, Notre Dame did everything right. Clemson did everything wrong, and it was it was phenomenal. And on the side of the Notre Dame's uh, rookie head coach Marcus Freeman, and the year that he's had losing to Ohio State is like okay, it's in Ohio State. Ohio State's very right. good. We're cool with that. Then you lose to Marshall, Panic City, because that's just a disgusting loss. Um, then you lose to Stanford, so so. So it's like you're kind of creating the storyline and Notre Dame in my lifetime has been very up and down. Like right. we've been terrible. We've been good. We've been great. And this right. felt like another kind of wave that was going to be on the downward spiral of like, we're going to lose to bad teams, maybe like Tulane, like we did. Oh, yeah. eight. Um, so this win was absolutely massive to bringing the hope back to uh, Irish faithful. And cementing the head coach as a guy that these players want to play for as well. So it was massive on a ton of fronts, but just in terms of coming out and executing versus a much better team on paper, I mean, that's what you want to see, whether you're a Notre Dame fan or not. Um, just a phenomenal game from the Irish. I think that what they did was they came out and punched Clemson in the mouth. I mean, the two interceptions, I mean, that's. Come on, that that's a that's a that's a that's one of the nails that drove into the coffin that killed Clemson that game. I oh, yeah. you know, I thought I thought they I thought Notre Dame played well on both sides of the ball, um, especially on defense. Uh, you know, Clemson was like I said, like you said, Clemson was rushed. They were it, it just they seemed off, and 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 to that point, it wasn't like they were off in a sense of they were just playing weird. They were off because I don't think they anticipated how well Notre Dame was going to prepare and execute in that game. And we saw it. I mean, what was it? 35 to 13 or 14 or something like that. Yeah. I mean, that, as it, as it turned out, but it was 28 zero at one point. I mean, correct. We were, it was a late in the fourth quarter and Notre Dame's still throwing the ball, scoring touchdowns. It was 35, seven. I'm going, this is crazy. This is what you would have expected Clemson to do to that. Correct. Um, But like you said, I think Notre Dame just performed at the highest level they can that they're capable of at every facet of the game, special teams, offense, defense, uh, toughness, mentality. I mean, they didn't back down at all from that moment. Um, especially when you're, what were they, five and three going into the game? So you could easily kind of just have that attitude of, uh, you know, Clemson's a big dog and we're not. Right. And that's just how it is. But no, they totally played up to the challenge. Massive game. And now 
it sets up Notre Dame SC as a game that you want to watch because, I mean, it's a historic rivalry, number one. But the way that Notre Dame's played versus the best competition has been phenomenal this year. So, right. you know, hopefully they don't lose to Navy and some other bozo in the next two weeks. But I, based on what I've seen them play with uh, Ohio State, BYU, and Clemson, I mean, there's no reason that they don't do it to them, too. Let's get into probably the, I would say, the biggest upset of the weekend. Um, you know, to big college fans, and that would be the Georgia, or maybe not upset. Maybe I would say more of a shock, if you will. Um, you know, an upset is a little bit different, but we got Georgia versus Tennessee, and ah, whew, let me tell you, we, I mean, man, Georgia wanted to put Tennessee in their place. Let me tell you, they, they literally <laughs> yeah. were like. All right, you you know, we're both undefeated teams here, but let me show you why we are undefeated. And Georgia, that, that, here you go. This is what I'm going to say is Clemson, or te, excuse me, Tennessee, you guys got to figure out Georgia. I'll say that. But number two, the fact that Georgia was just throwing bombs late in the game, I mean, yeah. that, like I said, oh, yeah. Georgia was there to show Tennessee. Who's boss? And they did that. I mean, come on. I don't think Tennessee had points until what the second half of the game. I think like I'm, I'm drawing blanks just because I'm so shocked at the bombs. But you know, it. <laughs> I think we were. I think we were all kind of shocked at where Tennessee was. I mean, being listed as number one coming into the weekend. I mean, that's you have a huge target on your back. And again, Tennessee has played some exceptional football, but. No knock on Georgia. I mean, Georgia has done very well. They've played sound football, and we showed it on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> that what you led off with, that they got put in their place, I think is 1,000% correct. I right. think Georgia felt disrespected. They're the national champs. They're the one that's proven it. They're the one that's beaten the, the – uh, teams over and over. Tennessee is a new kid on the block who felt right, right. entitled because of their Alabama victory, which oh, now yeah. we don't even know how legitimate that win was. But like I said, I mean, it felt it feels like Georgia plays with a different type of tenacity when they have to. And they like they're the dogs, the Bulldogs. Um Dogs. So I think Tennessee came in and we're like, we're number one, little arrogant, little uh, this is our year. You know, we got uh, Hendon Hooker, the QB, who is on, the, on Heisman watch. And that is the craziest part to me because that this was his game. This was the whole – his whole storyline, his yes. whole NFL uh, prospects ranking, his whole career in front of him was this game. Correct. Maybe not on that scale, but that's what it felt like to me because – of George, George is no slouch. I mean, you were going into their place trying to remain number one and prove that you belong there. And Georgia just smacked them in the mouth. I mean, they made Hendon Hooker look like a normal quarterback. They, they, they mean they came in with the exact game plan that you would expect. Got after him, six sacks on the day. Uh, let's see, I got some stats here. Tennessee went two for 14 on third down. 
So zero execution there. Uh, Hooker went 23 for 33, 195 yards, no touchdowns, one pick. But the bigger stat, I thought, he's a dual threat quarterback. That's where the NFL is headed. That's where quarterbacks are headed. 18 rushes, 17 yards. I think that says it all in terms of that's a the preparation that came into this game from Georgia's standpoint. Right. Yes. Just with your arm. It's kind of like what NFL teams do, uh, do with Lamar Jackson. Not saying those two are the same, but um, when you force a quarterback who can run to just stand there and throw it and he can't do it, I mean, it's a mindfuck to be uh, blatantly honest about what the quarterback's going through. And, yeah, like you said, Tennessee had six points going into the fourth quarter. They're down 27-6. On the other side of the ball, Georgia had 387 yards. Stetson Bennett, who won the national championship last year, he had a rushing touchdown, two passing touchdowns. It just looked like it looked like Georgia was number one and Tennessee was number three. Right. And granted, it would have been a fantastic win to go into Georgia and win that game. Like that's a very tough place to play. They're a great team. Obviously, they won it last year. Um, but like there's only one winner at the end of all this. And when you're the number one team and you're the new kid on the block, like I'm saying, these are the games that you have to win. Uh, what I, what's been popping in my head as we were talking, as we're talking about this is going back to Cam Newton's year in Auburn when they went to Alabama and that was kind of his game that he had to win too. And they were down like 24 zero or something. And he came back and won that game. I think that's where you know, legendary shit happens in college football. That was a that made Cam Newton a legitimate, you know, legendary college football player in that moment. Hooker, to me, it's now. It, I'm sure Tennessee finished up the year with a great year, but I don't know. It's uh, is the script set of how to defend Tennessee now, or is it just purely how great Georgia's defense did? I don't know, but. Georgia, for sure, cemented themselves as number one, which they are now. And they look like the top dogs to beat. I mean, talk about a ton of confidence for your team after a win like that versus the supposed number one. Um, So Georgia's flying high, and I expect them to uh, at least, at the very least, be in the college football playoff, and then we'll see what happens. I agree with that. And I think, uh, you know, Touching on all that, I think, you know, my, I think Tennessee got complacent in a sense of like, Hey, just keep doing what we're doing. But you have, and I, I'm, I, I love that you brought this up is you have Georgia who brought that game plan in and said, no, we, we are going to, we are going to ruin you. We are going to show <laughs> you. And, and like you said, and you brought it up a couple times is the fact that Tennessee is the new kid on the block. They're, they're not used to that right now. Hey, don't, don't, don't change what isn't broken. And that's what they saw. And Georgia, on the other hand, as an exceptional football team as they are and coaching staff, mm-hmm. is we are going to ruin you from the inside out. And they did. And, you know, the whole dual threat quarterback and what you had said was, I, I, I completely agree, is once you are now forced to throw and I cannot move as a mobile quarterback, your immediate thought was, I have to get out of this situation. And the only way I know how to do that is to run. Not mm-hmm. saying that that's a bad thing, but it forces a quarterback that may run through his progressions 
a little too quickly to actually wait for progressions and like, okay, now I'm seeing it. And that can totally screw up guys. Again, it's not all on him, but Georgia, Georgia came out, smacked him in the mouth and I'm going for bombs late in the game. Like they did. It was a total fuck you moment. (laughs) I'm going to teach you who we are. And I'm, I'm, yeah, I love it. And as a football fan, Everybody's going to be like, well, you're running up there. No, 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 no. You are setting the tone for why you are the best team. And they did that. 100%. And it's kind of a bully mentality, What you're allowed to do in sports, okay? Like, that's yeah, what, yeah. like you're saying, just throwing the bombs tells them, like, we don't care if you pick the ball off. We don't care if we don't score, but we're going to try. We don't care if there's two minutes left. Um. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely for if they see them again in the SEC championship right. or um, in the playoff, maybe. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was it's a total intimidation thing. It's a total like we have completely dominated you today, and we'll do whatever we want. There's nothing you can do about it. And another part I thought Georgia did well defensively is mixing up zone and man looks. That was another reason why Hooker wasn't able to find what he was normally able to find. I mean, Tennessee is averaging like 38 points a game going into that game, and they ended up with six points. So, I mean, that tells you everything you need to know about Georgia's defensive game plan going in there. He had seen stuff he hadn't seen before, looks he hadn't seen before, different rushes he hadn't seen before. Right. And they weren't able to adjust. The great coaching staffs and the great players are able to adjust at halftime, which we talk about all the time. Um, and maybe that comes from the lack of experience in a big game like this, where pretty much halftime adjustments are who's going to win that game. And it really seemed like Tennessee didn't adjust and Georgia didn't have to adjust because everything that they came in with was working. So, uh, awesome. week, awesome weekend of college football, um, kind of, you know, we can kind of see where things are heading in terms of, uh, the best teams and such. Top four got shook up for sure. I expect Tennessee to be back in there. Um, but really, it's Georgia and Ohio State kind of leading the charge, and then three and four are kind of up for grabs. Diving back into our, our true love of baseball, it's the offseason. There's not much to discuss, but there is something to discuss, and that is the Padres were so close last year that you figure they're probably one or two pieces away from – Doing the whole damn thing. We're going to get Tatis back. We can get Machado back. Got Soto back. So we have a lot of great players. So the question I want to pose to you, Polar Bear, who, if you can make one signing, who do you sign? And why is he making the difference to put this team over the edge? So, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jose Abreu of the White Sox. I think. He will okay. be a free agent. He'll be a free agent this year. We'll put him at first base. First base and with the Padres, I feel like we've always just kind of had like a good guy. And I feel like with Jose Abreu, I mean his stats are consistent with him being successful. He's not a guy that's gonna just shatter records, but you know what he is gonna do is he is going to be a guy that's going to play almost the whole season, if not the whole season. Number two, he's going to get runs in. And that, that to me, is our biggest hole. Yes, we can hit bombs. We can do things like that. But 
I think if we get that guy at first base, you know, Josh Bell and uh, I'm drawing a major blank. Will Myers. Will Myers. Wow, that was pretty bad. Josh <laughs> Bell and Will Myers. Those two guys. I mean, no knock on those guys. They've done. They've no done knock them. Knock them. Fuck it. All right. <laughs> I was trying to be really PC right there, but fuck it. I'm yeah, no, we it. don't do that on this. <laughs> I know. I don't know why I tried to sugarcoat it. I was being considerate. I was trying to be respectful of the history of the Padres, but fuck it. I mean, I think we need a new first baseman. There, I said it. We need someone that's consistent. We need someone that can fucking come in and just hit knocks, move guys on base, if not be on base with a single or a double. And I personally think Jose Abreu is that guy. You know, I I, I was looking around at other guys. I mean, he's my guy. I think he's just got the stats to to build on our success. And I'm not saying that that is the – for me, that would be it. Like, I think pitching is good. We're going to get some guys back. You know, that's where I stand. Very interesting because I have also selected a first baseman, which oh. tells you exactly what you need to know about this team. And that <laughs> is that Josh Bell and Will Myers just didn't do it for us. I kind of agree. I mean, Josh Bell had his a few moments, a few moments. He had a nice RBI single versus Phillies, which was massive. And then the home run off Scherzer. But consistency, consistently couldn't get guys in. And it was infuriating. I mean, when he first got traded over. Oh, okay. Anyways, my selection, which I think you'll like, Anthony Rizzo. Uh, that was my number two. Anthony Rizzo. Um, I So I'm a Cubs fan. I'm biased. Oh, but I, I think, first of all, great guy to have in the clubhouse. Great clubhouse guy, great veteran leadership guy. Right. Won the World Series with the Cubs right. in 06 or 2016. Um, and that's kind of, it feels similar to me, the same type of situation that the Padres are in, never winning, never winning one before, and the Cubs' drought of winning. It feels very similar to me. So I feel like if you lean on a guy like that, um, and you know, there's, I mean, there's other guys in the clubhouse who are great players, but they haven't won one yet. Right. So I feel like that's another just solid voice, and it's not Eric Cosmer, that you can have yeah. in there. Um, another thing I like about him is with the shift restrictions next year, I think he's going to get a lot more hits. Um, and I think once he starts – he and he's always been a great hitter, but I think once you start taking out the guy from, you know, the middle of right field away from his uh, at-bat, he's going he's gonna to drive in a lot more runs. He's a power stick. Um, I don't. I don't know. He plays very good defensively at first base. Which, if Tatis is playing shortstop, we're going to need somebody who can scoop it. <laughs> That's for sure. But uh, no, I just like the way he plays. I like. But kind of what you were talking about with the runs batted in, it adds another stick of a guy that knows what it takes with two outs and a guy on third to bring him in. And oh. I think that is truly what we're missing. Um, quick you know, they both had they both hit Jose Abreu and Anthony Rizzo both hit 75 RBIs last year and look that's exactly what we need there's only so many times that Manny Machado can come save the day correct um, so we need someone else and then like like what was happening toward the end of the year with other people contributing it takes the pressure off of Manny it takes the pressure off of Tatis 
it's got to be a collective effort. Look at the Astros. I mean, it didn't matter who was bringing in runs because they were all bringing in runs. Right. They did have Jordan Alvarez, though, who is a big run producer. So I'm not saying that Rizzo would be on that same plane, but he is a guy that historically brings in runs. Abreu is a guy that historically brings in runs. Correct. Another part of that is so much money is tied into other players on this team. I don't think either of those guys would cost an outrageous amount. Um, even if it's on a one-year or two-year deal, which I think probably both of them would agree to, to be on a team like the Padres. So I think we're in agreement that the first base position needs to be a place where runs are batted in, maybe uh, you know, maybe four-hitter, maybe, but probably five or six-hitter that is consistently bringing in runs. And um you know, the Padres as a whole of the entire year weren't weren't a huge run producing team until really the playoffs. Right. So like they had we had our moments of just splurging, but we also had games versus the Marlins where we're scoring one run, games versus the Diamondbacks were scoring zero runs. I'm not saying you need to score eight runs a game, but if you have that ability in that lineup where you look at it and you go, Man, we could score seven runs every night, I think it gives you a tremendous chance, especially when you know the Dodgers are coming back next year and you know, people know we're good now. So it's going to be, it's going to be a war the entire year. So we need sticks. This is the one thing I would have to say is having Anthony Rizzo would bring a different type of swag to the team. And I think he would mesh a lot faster than Jose Abreu. Yeah. I mean, coming, being a former Padre, I think gives you at least something with the fans and uh, they're going to, I think, I think people easily root for either of them, but Rizzo being a guy that was on the team as a rookie and when we were really bad, I think it just right. it plays to us a little bit because it's like, you're one of us. You experienced how bad. Come on back. Yeah. So that would be really cool if we do that, but we'll see. But okay, Sports Banter, episode 23. Whoa. Gear up, dude. Because we're talking shop. Number one, literally number freaking one. Justin Fields is the real deal. I'm talking. I'm talking. I'm all in. This is a this is a cross I will die on. Now it is a whatever. I I will live and die by Justin Fields. Now love it. Uh, look, I'm fired up. I'm fired up for the Bears' future. I'm fired up for this Sunday. It's like who are we playing? Who are we got? The Lions. Yeah, we're playing the Lions. We're coming for your neck. It'll probably if we win, it'll probably be forty-five to forty-two because we can't stop anybody. But I mean, the future is very bright as a quarterback in Chicago. Hey, that's right, baby. Love to see that out of Justin Fields. But, you know, you can't knock my bills. Can't knock my bills. We go, we dropped in on the bills this weekend. But the biggest uh, concern, again, Mr. Peanut's got a very successful quarterback running in there, just hitting his stride. Hold on, hold on. Pump the brakes. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> it said he's hitting his stride. Hitting his stride. There we go. Yeah. But, you know, on the other hand, the Bills, we got a big question mark essentially with Josh Allen's injury. That UCL, you know, start wiggling the hand out. You never know what could happen with that. And, you know, as we talked about, it's a little, little worrisome for the playoffs if that injury is a little bigger than we anticipate. But you are correct. They, the Bills are going about it very Tatis-esque. Very Tatis, which is very scary. <laughs> it is scary. So we'll see on Sunday if he's under center. Uh, 
dove into college football big upsets this this past weekend with LSU beating Bama and Notre Dame beating Clemson and not so much big upset, but more of a putting the top four in their place with Georgia and ass whooping. And ass whooping. Yeah, Tennessee dropped out of the top four now, which I think is crazy, but they got smoked. So when you get smoked, shit happens. And Georgia's number one, and Tennessee ain't. That's right. Last I mean. but not least, a little fun topic. Padres, <laughs> we need a new first baseman. Um, and apparently, Polar Bear likes Jose Abreu. I like Rizzo. But really, we like either of them. So I think, in agreement, we need runs from that position. And it's November, and we're talking baseball. <laughs> Love it, baby. <laughs> Love it. But for episode 23, Sports Bandit, we out. See ya.